Please turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. I marvel at God's sovereignty and His providence in that we took an oath, a vow, this morning. And it just so happens that here we are in James at the very section where he is dealing with oaths and vows. James chapter 5, we'll be looking at verse number 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help in understanding this text this evening. And Father, I do confess to you my own failings and the things that I'm about to preach. And we do thank you for your grace and your mercy in, in all of our lives. And we ask for the Spirit's help in applying this word to our hearts. Father, help us to leave here with a deep sense of the importance of integrity in the Christian walk. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our world is pretty much characterized by lying, dishonesty, broken promises, and a, a lack of trust. If the media says something to you, what do you do? you believe the opposite. If a politician says something to you, you believe the opposite. When is the last time you trusted a used car salesman? You'd probably say never. Our most salesmen, there are obviously good ones, but, but we're skeptical because of what? Because of the prevalence of dishonesty and lying in our culture. MacArthur put it this way, our society is built on a framework of lies, leading one to wonder whether our social structure would survive if everyone were forced to speak the truth for even one day. I mean, I mean consider that. If everyone in the world had to be totally truthful for one day, it would wreak havoc on our entire world. Perhaps you've seen movies where they're usually comedies where a person can no longer tell lies for a day. Something magically happens and they can't lie anymore. And what happens? Their, their life is destroyed. Why? Because it was built upon a foundation of lies. But, but should this be true of believers? Well, James addresses this very subject. And so we're going to start this by looking at what I call the, the weight of the command. James is going to instruct us here with, with one little verse. But don't let the fact that it's one verse cause you to misunderstand the seriousness and the weight of what he is saying. And this is why James starts the way he does. He says, but above all, my brothers. And as we'll see in a few minutes, James is now dealing with the theme of, of swearing or giving oaths. 
And this may cause some to say, is this really such an important theme that James would introduce it by saying, above all, after he just addressed so many different topics? Some take James' words, above all, as simply a literary way of him drawing this book to a conclusion. But I think that when we really understand what James is saying here, it should make sense to us that, that he gives such priority to this command. MacArthur says that the phrase above all sets it apart as a preeminent and pervasive command. But is swearing really that important? I mean, simple words spoken. Just a few words spoken. Well, James jumps around discussing a wide variety of topics in this letter. However, one consistent theme throughout this entire epistle is the use of the tongue. And in fact, James addresses speech in every single chapter of this book. Did you notice that? He started off in chapter 1. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That verse right there, the weight of that verse is amazing. What does that mean? If you profess to be a Christian, but your religion does not control and restrain your tongue, your so-called Christianity is useless. Which means what? It doesn't save. It's not real. He goes on in chapter 2. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. He's basically telling them you need to act like and you need to speak like Christians. Which means what? There is a certain way that Christians are to use their tongues. And then we don't even need to discuss chapter 3. He, he said much about the tongue in chapter 3. But even, even in chapter 4, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Do not slander one another. And he says to speak evil or, or to, to slander, to judge, to speak critically of one another is to speak evil against and to judge the law. You notice the, 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 the gravity of everything he says related to the tongue. He gives a stern warning. If your religion doesn't restrain your tongue, it's useless. Here, to speak evil against one another is to speak evil against the law of God. Now James is dealing with the tongue once again here in chapter 5. So what is so special about the tongue that James feels the need to deal with this theme from the very beginning to the conclusion of this epistle? Well, as we've said many times, in a unique way, the tongue reveals what is in the heart. Jesus stated this so clearly when He said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in the heart will eventually come out of the mouth the tongue is like a window into the heart. You say, I don't, you don't know my heart. I don't need to. I just need to hear your words. This is what Jesus says. This is why James can say with certainty that if your religion does not control your tongue, it is a useless religion that cannot save you. Our, our tongues reveal our nature. If you still have a fallen nature, you are in sin and it shows in your speech. But, but if you have been born again, you have a new nature and it shows in your speech. A tree is made known by its fruit. And this is why James deals with this so frequently and strongly. He wants, he wants professing Christians to know whether or not their faith is sincere. 
Much, much of what James has said in this book is a test of true faith. He lays out the clear distinction between a believer and the world, and he says, which one are you? There's a clear difference. James wants you to know whether or not your heart has been changed. And one of the clearest indicators of a changed heart is a bridled tongue. So he deals with this extensively. So James says, above all, because the tongue reveals the heart. Not only does the tongue reveal the heart, but the nature of what James is dealing with here is, is very weighty. He is dealing with oaths, promises, covenants. This is a weighty matter. Sproul says to exalt refraining from false oaths and vows to a high level priority may seem strange to some, but it is consistent with a biblical concern for covenant keeping. God is a covenant-keeping God, isn't He? What does that mean? There's integrity behind His words. And He expects the same of us. So this is a very weighty matter. Let us examine what James says about this weighty matter. So let us look now at the command. James says, "...but above all, my brothers, do not swear." James is not talking about the use of vulgar language here. Words that we call swear words or curse words. He is talking about the use of oaths. We still use this terminology today. When someone wants to emphasize the truthfulness of what they are saying, what do they say? I swear. I, I swear I'm telling the truth. Or where I grew up, people used to say, I swear on my grandmama's grave that I'm telling the truth. What about in the court of law when a witness is about to give testimony? What happens? They are sworn in, placing their hand on a Bible and saying, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That is an oath, a promise of truth-telling. One source says that to swear is to promise solemnly, usually invoking a divine witness often including penalties for failure within the contents of the oath. James says, do not swear. Now, is he saying that all oaths are bad? Well, if we interpret it that way, then we contradict Scripture. If we, if we search Scripture, we have numerous examples of people giving oaths and, and even examples of oaths being required of God's people. Consider Exodus 22. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution." person who lost the animal and trusted to him had to swear an oath before God that he did not steal it. And his neighbor could not get restitution if he did that. Some would say that Paul was swearing when he oftentimes called God as his witness in his writings. I, I do this with, with God as my witness. I do this. Our own confession recognizes what is called lawful oaths. 
Chapter 23, paragraph 1 states that a lawful oath is a part of religious worship, wherein the person swearing in truth, righteousness, and judgment solemnly calls God to witness what he swears and to judge him according to the truth or falseness thereof. So if oaths are are seen and even sometimes required throughout Scripture, then why is James forbidding them here? As we read on, we, we see more clearly exactly what it is that James is forbidding. So notice James says, do not swear. And then he adds, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Now this tells us precisely what James is dealing with. And if you read your Bible, you will notice that what James says here is almost exactly what Christ said in Matthew chapter 5. Let me read that to you. Our Lord said, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one here white or black. That what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. These are the words of Christ. No doubt James had these words of Christ in mind as he wrote this verse. And he was likely addressing the very same issue. Remember that James is writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. These are Jewish converts. And as Jewish Christians, it would have been very easy for them to do what? To bring Judaism, some of their traditions, into their Christian faith. So it is very likely that what James is dealing with as he writes to Jewish converts is the same thing Christ dealt with when he was speaking to the Jews. Jesus, in his account, gives us more details. Let us consider his words. First of all, when he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, he's not referring to Old Testament Scripture. He is referring to rabbinic tradition. Jesus is not contradicting what was written in the Old Testament. He is showing the error of their tradition. MacArthur points out that rabbinic teaching held that only vows to the Lord were binding. Only to the Lord. Now, in other words, if you swear by heaven or by earth, it's not binding. You didn't have to perform it. Kind of like today when people make a promise and then they they don't do it and they say, I had my fingers crossed. This is what the Jews were doing. So the Jews could say, I swear by heaven I will do this, but then could turn around and say, because I did not swear by the name of the Lord, I am free from keeping my oath. So how does Jesus respond to that? But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for for you cannot make one hair white or black. He's saying you swear by heaven or earth, or by your own head, because you don't think it's binding. 
You, you don't think it's binding because you did not swear by God's name. But heaven is God's throne. And you swore by that. And the earth is God's footstool. And you swore by that. Jerusalem is God's city. And you cannot even control the hairs on your head. But God is sovereign over every follicle. Therefore, when you swear by those things, you are actually swearing by God's name. MacArthur says that Jesus declared that swearing by anything in God's dominion brings Him into the transaction. Can you name anything outside of God's dominion? No. Despite what the the hypocritical deceivers may have thought or intended, God regarded their oaths as binding and judged them for not keeping them. Christ communicates this truth clearly to us in Matthew chapter 23 as He confronts the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, blind gods! You, You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. What's going on there? You can swear by the temple, but not the gold? What is that all about? Maybe that tells you a sense of their priority and what they're looking at as swearing. It doesn't matter if you swear by the temple, as long as it's not the gold. Christ says, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Obviously, the gold was more important to them. Likewise, and you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. And now he's going to drive the point home for them in case they missed it. He says, so whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And listen to this. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. To swear by heaven is to swear by God. Therefore, those who were swearing by heaven and not keeping their vows were actually swearing by God and not keeping their vows. The Jews were trying to hide their lies and deceit by swearing oaths they did not think was binding. They wanted to swear by anything other than God so that they could get out of it, so that they could lie. And so what Jesus was forbidding was the taking of oaths in the name of anything other than God. Why? Because a lie is a lie. A lie is a lie. And God is always standing as witness regardless of whether or not you swore by His name. You don't make an oath and and try to avoid doing it before the name of God so that you can get out of it. If you make an oath, it is always in the eyes of God. And therefore, you need to acknowledge God by only making oaths before His name. He is the only judge. Swearing by things in His creation is nothing more than deceptive speech. I swear by that hill over there. I swear by the city of Jerusalem. What what does that even mean? Is the city of Jerusalem going to hold you accountable for your words? 
It's deceptive speech. But some would even take it farther and say, not only is this deceptive speech, but it's actually idolatry. Pro says only God can be an omnipresent, omniscient witness to oaths and vows. So to call upon mere objects as witnesses is to reject the Creator in favor of that which is created. So oaths are idolatrous. Not meant to be kept by those who are giving them. These are the oaths he is dealing with. Now, going back to James, consider how close his words are to Christ. He says, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven, there it is, or by earth, or by any such oath. James is forbidding the same thing that Jesus did, swearing by things other than God. Neither Jesus nor James said that all oaths are wrong. They they were simply dealing with people, giving oaths that were intended to be broken Oaths that were made to things other than God for, the very, for that very purpose, in, in order to break them. But there is an actual biblical pattern for oaths. Biblical oaths acknowledge God alone as witness. <coughs> Consider chapter 23, paragraph 2 of our confession. The name of God only is that by which men ought to swear. And therein it is to be used with all holy fear and reverence. Therefore, to swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and dreadful name or to swear at all by any other thing is sinful and to be abhorred. Yet, as in matter of weight and moment for confrontation of, for confirmation of truth and ending all strife, an oath is warranted by the word of God. So a lawful oath being imposed by lawful authority in such matters ought to be taken. So in very serious matters, it's okay to take an oath. For example, when testifying in court as a witness. When many people get married, they make vows to one another, and and often even in their vows, they, they call who? They call God as witness. What did we do this very morning? We took oaths to one another with God as our witness. The key is that these oaths are given before God. And with this said, oaths should not be a daily thing. Again, I quote our confession. Whosoever takes an oath warranted by the Word of God ought duly to consider the weightiness of so solemn an act and therein to avouch nothing but what he knows to be truth, for that by rash, false, and vain oaths the Lord is provoked. What happened to the man in the Old Testament who made a rash oath? Who showed up next? His daughter. He said, whatever meets me, when I come home, I offer up to you, God, a very rash oath. And his daughter was the first person to meet him. A rash oath. But what does the Scripture tell us? That with the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. If you're constantly making oaths, you're going to end up breaking them. Because you're going to swear on this and you're going to swear on that. And you can't keep all of your words. But when an oath is made, it ought to be done solemnly. Something that you know that you can keep by God's help. Which means it's not something that's done flippantly. 
Making an oath is a solemn thing that should be done with absolute caution. But what do we do today? As soon as someone thinks that you don't believe me, oh, I swear to it. Oh, I, I swear on everything. And some people even say, I swear to God. And then lie. James reveals to us that, that such swearing of oaths should not be a part of our everyday speech. And perhaps someone will say, but if I don't swear, people won't believe me. James has instruction for you. So this next section I call a, a call to integrity. He says, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. He took those words as well directly from Christ. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But what does this mean? It means that a simple yes or no is sufficient. I want you to think again about the kind of person who never simply says yes or no. In James and Jesus' day, this was the person who said, I swear by heaven. I swear by earth. And we already know that those people said that in order to hide their deception. <coughs> but what about today? The person who says, I, I, I swear to, I will do it. I swear on everything I love. I swear on my grandmama's grave. If you grew up where I grew up, that's how you know a person was lying because they're swearing on their granny's grave. But this is what we do. But the person who says, I swear to you, flippantly, this way. I swear to you about this. I swear to you about that. They're doing that for one of two reasons. Number one, he is lying and trying to deceive you into thinking he is telling the truth, or he lies so much that he knows nobody will believe him. And so he's swearing for you to try to believe him this one time. Here's the point. In both of those cases, the person swearing is doing so because of a lack of integrity. Therefore, Christians who, who should be marked by integrity should not swear and make oaths except for in special circumstances as already mentioned. The person who swears to things on a daily basis is a person with no integrity. MacArthur knocks the ball out of the, out of the park with this quote. He says, people of integrity have no need to swear elaborate oaths to convince people of their truthfulness. Nor would they swear falsely to deceive people. It must be remembered that neither Jesus nor James prohibited swearing oaths under special circumstances. But under normal circumstances, they are superfluous for the believer who is marked by honesty. person, listen, the person who is marked by honesty does not need to swear oaths on a regular basis. It's unnecessary because he says things and people believe him. Now this should cause us to, to pause and to, to reflect for a moment on our own lives. Do, do you find yourself swearing to things on a daily basis? Is that a habit for you? If so, why is it a habit? 
Do you, do you find yourself often trying to convince people that you are telling the truth? Do, do you feel like you need to swear in order to convince people you're telling the truth? If so, why? Do you swear so that you can lie to people and make them think you're telling the truth? Or do you swear because you have such a bad reputation that you think nobody will believe you unless you swear? When you open your mouth to speak, do your words mean anything to those who hear you? You have such a reputation for, for honesty and integrity that your words are believable without you swearing. Are you the type of person making a deal, the person says, I don't even need for you to sign that. I know you well enough. Listen, I don't want you to limit this to blatant lies. Because there are many Christians who, who, who they, don't, they don't attempt to just tell blatant lies, yet they, 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 they have such a reputation that when they say yes or no, people don't believe them. How does that happen? Well, let us look at this categorically. What about in the home? A mom or dad constantly failing to fulfill their words to their children. They don't do it on purpose. But you say we can do this later and... It never happens, does it? Listen, if your kids think that later means no, what are you doing to your integrity? Listen, I, I, say, that, I say that to you as a guilty man. And in fact, I, Isaiah recently convicted me of this because I would tell him later, Isaiah, and he, he would say to me, you mean no? He wants that clarity. You, you mean no, don't you? But really, what are you doing to your integrity at that point in time? Spurgeon says something along the lines of this. Give your kid whatever you promise, whether it's a spanking or a blessing. If you promise it, give it to them. They need to know that when mommy and daddy says something, that's what they mean. And perhaps your integrity is already so compromised in your kid's eyes that you have to promise them Something to convince them that this time you really do mean what you say. No, mommy and daddy, you say that all the time. No, sweetie, I really do mean it this time. I promise you. It's almost like you're swearing. I promise you this time. I actually mean what I say. Why do you need to do that? Because your words don't mean anything to them. Or husbands and wives. You say that you're going to do something, and you never do it. And you just don't think it's a big deal. There's a joke that I see online every now and again. If a man says he's going to do something, he will do it. You don't need to remind him every six months. And we laugh at that, right? Should that be true of the Christian? Should your words have no meaning to your husband or your wife? As Christians, that should not be the case with us. Husbands and wives, listen, you need to live with such integrity in your home that when you say something, your spouse believes it with absolute certainty because you are a man or a woman of your word. Your yes means yes and your no means no. Children, this means that you need to live in such a way that your parents actually believe what you say. Perhaps you constantly lie to your parents and you make it hard for them to believe anything you say. 
This is wrong in God's eyes. You need to be truthful at all times. And perhaps you say, I can't be truthful. I just naturally lie to protect myself and to avoid getting into trouble. This means that you need Jesus to rescue you from your sins. You need Jesus not only to forgive your sins, but to free you from your sin. This is called redemption. You need to be redeemed. And the good news is that Jesus came to do exactly that. He came to redeem sinners so that if you trust in Him for salvation, He will forgive all of your lies and your dishonesty, and He will even help you to stop lying and being dishonest. Dear saints, what about in the workplace? What is your reputation in the workplace? When you tell someone you would do it, do they send someone to follow you to make sure you do? Because odds are it's not going to get done. When, 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 you, when you give someone a completion date, do they automatically add a month on because you never get it done on time? Do, do you have a, a reputation of integrity so that all you have to say is yes or no and people believe your words? Are you trustworthy and reliable? If you are not, your yes and your no will mean nothing to people. And the only way you can try to convince them is to start saying, oh, I promise this time and I, and I swear to you. James says, don't do that. Just have integrity. Do what you say you would do. Do you make promises to customers that you constantly break, even if it's not on purpose? Perhaps you need to stop over-committing, over-promising. In fact, we, we just talked about this in men's book study. You, you need to learn how to under-promise and over-perform instead of over-promising and under-performing because what does that do? That hurts your integrity. And your yes no longer means yes and your no no longer means no. What is your reputation, dear saints? MacArthur says believers are to be known as people who keep their word, having such integrity that their simple yes and no will suffice for people. Is that the reputation you have? You keep your word with such consistency and integrity that a simple yes or no will suffice for the people who know you. Does your words have that type of weight? If you are lacking such integrity, James has a warning for you. Let us conclude with a warning to those who lack integrity. James says, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation or judgment. Now, this is not a word used to speak of Christians being disciplined by God. This is a word that speaks of sinners being damned. Listen to how Christ uses this word in John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, same word, but has passed from death to life. The word is used to speak of the opposite of eternal life. 
which is God's judgment. One source defines this as a, as a legal decision of guilty. This is a severe warning. Just like all of the other passages where, where James talks about the tongue, he, he gives a severe warning. If you do this, you better be careful lest you be condemned. James is not saying that if you tell a lie as a Christian or break a promise as a Christian, you are no longer saved. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that if your life is characterized by dishonesty, you are in danger of God's judgment. Why? Because a life of dishonesty is not consistent with Christianity. What are we told in Revelation 21.8 of liars? As I read this, just pay attention to, to who John groups liars with. And then the outcome. Revelation 21.8 But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. According to Jesus, if you are a liar, you are of your father, the devil, who is a liar and the father of lies, and you will have your place in the lake of fire and brimstone. This is the word of Christ. Do you see how inconsistent a life of dishonesty is with biblical Christianity? And as we wrap this up, I, I want you to hear and understand James' stern warning to those whose lives are marked by dishonesty. And James wants you to examine your heart in light of his words. Is the integrity of your life consistent with the Christian faith? If not, be warned. You are in danger of judgment. You need to look to Christ and turn from your sins lest you prove yourself to be an unbeliever. Let me also speak to those who are sitting here today struggling against dishonesty, wanting to do better, but often failing. Listen, I can remember as a young Christian telling lies for no reason at all. And after doing so, I would turn around and say, why did I just lie? I have no idea why I did that. It made no sense for me to do that. I didn't even think about doing it. It just came out. And I struggled with that for a while. What about the person struggling against dishonesty, wanting to do better, but failing often? You need to hear James' warning. But know that God's grace is sufficient to cover the lies you have told and the promises you have broken even as a Christian. Listen, if you are broken over your sins of dishonesty, do not despair. His grace is sufficient. Not only that, but He has not left you to yourself. This is not a matter of you striving to do what is impossible. You, you have been redeemed, purchased from the slavery of sin. You are free from the guilt and the power of dishonesty because of the blood of Christ. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You have a new nature which is actually capable of honesty and integrity. 
You have the Holy Spirit working in you and towards you to grow you and sanctify you, to make you more like Christ, to increase your honesty and your integrity. Yes, you do have the weight of representing Christ well on your shoulders. But you are not alone in the fight. Christ calls you to be salt and light in this world, partially by the integrity that you show, but He has not left you to yourself. And His grace is sufficient to cover all of your failures. What should this do for us? Should should this be a license for us to go on in dishonesty? No. This should be motivation. The, The infinite grace of our loving Savior should motivate us to even greater integrity. Dear friends, may our honesty and our integrity truly shine forth like like great beacons of light in a world that is dark in deception and dishonesty. Dear friends, we should stick out like sore thumbs in this world, like a lighthouse in a dark ocean. Let us pray. Dear God, we, we do thank You that the blood of Your Son has in fact covered all of our dishonesty, our lack of integrity. Father, help us to, to grow in these areas, to truly be sought in light as we walk with integrity, as we have integrity in our homes and integrity in the church and, and integrity in the workplace and integrity in the marketplace. Father, help us to live in such a way that people see the difference in us. And they wonder why we would be truthful in every situation. They would wonder why we would live in such a way that our yes is always yes and our no is always no. And Father, if there be anyone here today who, who, who cannot say that I walk with integrity, we ask that You would cause them to, to turn to You, to confess their sins and to repent of their sins and to look to Christ for salvation. And Father, we ask that You would change their hearts for the very first time, being free from the slavery of sin, they can actually walk with integrity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.